Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cooks. Yes, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 24th day of October, 2019. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, and uh, our host, Jay Basser, tonight. And uh, we're we're here with uh, Dr. Bass, and uh, he's going to have a guest on, and we're going to be discussing about uh, back injuries, spinal cord injuries, and what have you, among other things. So be sure to uh, take notes, and and remember, we have these, uh, we keep these broadcasts in archives all the time. So it's uh, uh, well worth going back and reviewing uh, if you need to. So, uh, Doctor Bash, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, doing good, and I'm, I'm glad that our friend Matt Matt Hayes here with us tonight. You know, Matt and I were in West Roxbury in Boston VA Hospital for you know a few months about 35 years ago, and we never even knew of each other because he left a few weeks before I got there, but we had the same doctor and the same staff, and all of a sudden, he, he resurfaced now with this spine injury, which hasn't been rated or assigned any kind of a code for 35 years. So, Matt's now into the new system, the new, since February, you know, appeal system. So, Matt, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself and maybe a little about what happened with the uh, supplemental claim? Well, um, I guess I've kind of, until I ran into you, I, I kind of stumbled along. Um, when I when I first filed my claim, I was really just trying to get my medical records. It was at the VA Medical Center, and um, the volunteer out there actually wound up filing a claim, but it was a claim that you could have fit on a postcard. It just said spinal cord, in, spinal cord contusion, neurological impairment. Um so of course it was denied almost immediately, and then I went. Uh, how, long, how long was that denial, Matt? How, how, how long was that denial? How many sentences was it? Um, not very long. It just said, you know, you only had like one visit. It didn't. Um, but at that point, I really wasn't intending to file a claim. But it, it kind of points out when I get to the next step. <clears throat> when I went to the VA. Everybody said, gave me the name of somebody I should talk to over the VA. And he was he was very helpful, but he filed a notice of disagreement. And so really the first claim that I filed was already an appeal, which was going to slow everything down. Um, and that was um, – so my, my claim was, May, was in May 2008. Then I filed the appeal in July – I mean 2018. And then I filed the uh, notice of disagreement in July of 2018. And then November, um, I went up to the uh, VFW, and again, I was really just trying to get my medical records. Um, and it was the end of November, and I spoke to somebody there, and like two days later, they they turned out um, a really detailed supplemental claim. My notice of disagreement just kind of said, 
neck injury, shoulder, hand, um, left leg, left foot, because all my neurological damage, as Dr. Bash knows, almost all of it is on my left side, which is unusual. People are are used to seeing, you know, somebody that's injured from the neck down or from the waist down. With me, it's it's all my left side, which is unusual. Um, And even healthcare practitioners, um, even some physicians have a hard time wrapping their head around that. Um, <clears throat> but then the, um, the supplemental claim was filed the end of November, and that's actually been moved, that moved a lot faster than the, um, than the appeal. That was uh, the first decision letter came out um, July 1st, <clears throat> and a lot of the neurological injuries were deferred pending a line of duty um, <clears throat> determination. But it was really the way I describe it to people is like it's sort of going from kindergarten to graduate school <clears throat> because when you when you get to when I went to the VA and I filed like, you know, a more detailed claim, I thought, well, I'm in pretty good shape. But then when I got to the uh <clears throat> when I sort of stumbled into the DFW and they did went through my medical record, um my in-service records, because I was hospitalized for three months, um, it was a much more formidable claim. But the problem is they're very they're very helpful people. They're good people. They're hardworking. But they're not physicians. And so somebody um, – I was actually just in a conversation with somebody, and they mentioned Dr. Bash. And – when I when I found out he had had a neurological background, I, <clears throat> um, expertise, I didn't know how considerable it was at the time. But I thought, well, he's going to understand me immediately. Um, so I reached out to Dr. Bash and um, included an impression of an MRI that I had. <clears throat> and he got back to me within an hour, and we spoke the next day, which was a Saturday. And realized, I think the first question he asked me was, "Well, what hospital are you in?" And I said, um, "I was in Roxbury." And he said, "Roxbury? I was in Roxbury." He said, when were you there? And I said, uh, back in 1984. And he said, 1984, that's when I was there. And I knew the next question was going to be, who was your doctor? Um, it was the same neurosurgeon, Dr. Sarkarati. Um, but then when, in, uh, I guess in February, we were able to get together in uh, in D.C. while Dr. Bash was here. And we filed a nexus opinion. And then once you file it, once you see the nexus opinion, you realize how, <clears throat> I hate to say how deficient the other claims were, but in point of fact, how deficient the other claims were, because then you have a, then you have an exam, physical exam. <clears throat> and underneath that is, you know, <clears throat> your, your medical records and your in-service records. Um, but <clears throat> it's sort of a tier, it's a tiered approach. You have um, the physical disabilities, um, and then you have the regulations that underpin them, and then the case law underneath that. And it's just <clears throat> that's sort of that's like what I refer to as you know. By then you're in graduate school, <clears throat> um, and it's much harder for the D. It's much. It's not only much harder to deny, but it's much easier for, for the VA to understand what's actually what they're looking at. <clears throat> because if you just look at the supplemental claim, which which I've been told they try to, they're trying to get those done in six months now. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> but if you look, just look at, at least in my case, a supplemental claim, it was a little bit hard to explain, because, to understand rather, because there was no narrative there. 
Um, and he took a very broad approach. He went beyond just my neurological injuries, injuries and included tinnitus and some other things. Um, so, so that would mean so, the supplemental the supplemental denial wasn't very wasn't very robust, right? There wasn't much in it. So she's saying the denial, the supplemental claim. Um, actually, it was it was it's complicated because when the uh, when they send you like when they send you to external examiners, at least in my case, the first external examiner, a physician assistant, back in um, September September thirtieth, two thousand eighteen, she didn't really. It was almost like going to a neurologist for an exam. Only they're not really a neurologist, and they don't really know what they're what they're looking at until you get there. And so, for example, she had in her notes. That, that uh, my in-service records were silent about my injury, but I, I was in the hospital three months. I mean, I had a couple hundred pages, <clears throat> and then she said she identified my left hand <clears throat> um, isn't complete, isn't fully functional on my left foot, but said there's no connection. Well, the connection is the hole in my spinal cord, <clears throat> and so it was, <clears throat> it was the first. Um, the nexus opinion Dr. Bash submitted was really um, originally designed to correct that, <clears throat> but then when the um, the supplemental claim was filed, it was filed under orthopedic, <clears throat> and I saw another physician. I had another CMP exam last summer, and the physician physician assistant in this case, I thought was outstanding because she had studied my medical record, she was familiar with my claim, and before I ever sat down, she said, "Your, your claims are." Uh, a bit uneven because um, one was filed correctly as neurologic and one was filed incorrectly as orthopedic. And she did a, she did the most thorough exam that a physician assistant can do anyway. <clears throat> They're never going to be as skilled as, as a physician <clears throat> or somebody with, with Dr. Bash's background. Um, but she, she was still on the ball. And then when I get the, when I read the um, decision letter <clears throat> uh, September 13th, they had like, 14 or 16 orthopedic denials that shouldn't have been in there. I, mean, I never, I've never broken a bone. So somehow the exam that she, um, that she actually performed both from an administrative standpoint and from a, um, a medical clinical standpoint, it just didn't get conveyed. And then, and right now I'm trying to get, I had six C&P exams over a period of two weeks, and they all made it into my file except for that one. <clears throat> so you're always going to – maybe you're not always going to run into this stuff, but typically I think um, you run into a lot of this sort of thing. And there's a lot of people <clears> – <throat> one of the things that I, I would advise people is it's helpful. The more people you talk to, the better, because I made a call to the VA Medical Center, and I was just asking to put me through to, to um, patient advocacy – and I bumped into whoever it was I got on the phone and um, went in and tried to pull up my records, um, pointing me in the right direction. Because <clears throat> the sooner I can get the um, – the sooner I can get that C&P exam – until I get that C&P exam, I can't really have Dr. Bash write a letter because <clears throat> um, now everything has been <clears throat> attached to the uh, – to my appeal. Um, so Matt, like that, if we go back and, yeah. if we go back and talk a little bit about what 
where you think some of the major errors were, like maybe that first claim should have been more thorough, right? And the second, the second supplemental appeal should have been more thorough. Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, if I could, the, the problem with the problem with the whole claims process, or not really the problem, but the challenge, it's the first time you do anything, you don't know what you're doing, and that's why. Um, I mean, if if the, the sooner, the earlier you could you can work with someone like Dr. Bash and especially Dr. Bash in combination <clears throat> together with, um, with Bill Krieger, <clears throat> better off you're going to be because there's a lot of things like the first, when I, when I filed a notice of disagreement with the VA, the VSW later told me that should have been filed as new information, a supplemental claim. So so really the first claim I filed was an appeal, which is slower than the supplemental claims are. And um, so that was a mistake, but it was a mistake that I never, you know, <clears throat> you walk in and, um, you know, the person who's doing it is, is competent and as helpful as they can be in this, in, in my case, in this instance, but they still, according to the VFW, they didn't, <clears throat> they would have been better off filing a supplemental claim. And in fact, the supplemental claim with the VFW filed three months later, four months later, <clears throat> moved a lot faster. Um, no, that we're talking about. The VFW, but they made, they made their own mistake because I think that was the claim that was filed under orthopedic, which if I didn't, if I didn't um, bump into a, a capable physician assistant, <clears throat> I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have read the uh, decision, decision letter in September. I would have had no idea why there's all these orthopedic denials um, so Matt now you're talking so, about doing a second letter right second letter for me right we're talking about doing a second letter yeah well just uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> a second letter but I just yeah. I have to try to get a hold of the uh, that I have to get a hold of that C&P exam because um, yes that's exactly right so I can look at that and challenge it if I need to so the new, the new yeah. I want to bring this story out because in the new claims process, there's a lot of people out there that are wandering around the same way you did, you know. And so if they get into the new process, which I don't like so much, I think it's just in the old one. But the new one, I, end up, I might end up writing five letters. Now. I might write a single letter for the first claim, and I might write a supplemental appeal letter for, with new information, and I might write, we might do this thing called higher-level review, and then do another supplemental mm -hmm. claim with, high, with new information, and then do another, another higher-level review. And kind of go through it that way, and then you have to go to the board. But those are a lot of a lot of steps in there. So, so patients need to understand that the new system is moving quickly. Like they might make decisions in a month on a supplemental claim, and that might only be one sentence when we submit 100 pages. But the idea is we'll just keep ratcheting up the data and make and policy case up to the BVA if we have to. And that's kind of what we're doing with Matt. You know, Matt's got that first letter for me, and now we're thinking about doing the second letter. But it's important to get the data, like you said. If you get that CMP exam, I can look at that and see where there are things I can agree with and see where there are things I can say that they're off base on, and we can do some more testing. And that's where Krieger comes in, too, because he can help us a lot with the legal part of it, you know, the medical legal rules that apply. So mm -hmm. that's right. It takes a team, takes a team of people, and, um, and the system is pretty complicated. Maybe did Gerald and Jay have something to say about that? You guys have some experience with the new supplemental claims? Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Batch, I, I sort of run into the same thing with my <coughs> CMP examination because the examiner uh, 
more or less looked at things in my favor, but when he submitted the report he, uh, back to the regional office, uh, they responded back to him uh, trying to get him to alter it. I think I sent you that paperwork. or, or uh, Yeah, I see that a lot. I see that a lot. The doctors, the doctors write stuff, but then they have the reader, reading team behind them. And they try and tell them that they have to read it this way or write it that way and so on and so forth. You know, So I do a lot of times when I have patients and they go to an exam, I tell them, wait in the exam room for civilian place until you see the report. If you told them you had foot pain and they don't put it in there, then make sure they put it in there. Or in the VA's case, you know, get your get your exam report a couple of days later. If it's wrong, you know, tell write it in and tell them that you want a new examiner or you want to, you want to, you want to edit the report because those reports are really important. If they're, if they're wrong initially, then it's hard to change, you know, six months oh, or a year yeah. down the road. Oh, yes. At least uh, this examiner, CMP examiner I had, he, he did stick to his guns. He was a doc, medical doctor. But uh, uh, I was surprised, as, well, no, I really wasn't surprised, that the regional office, the raider at the regional office would send it back to him and say, hey, uh, you know, uh, why do you have to write it this way? <laughs> and uh, he said that's the way he was going to do it. That's the way he did it. But I can see him altering or or manipulating a CMP examination very easily, and the veteran not even know. Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, over the years, I've had examples of that. Like, I've had CMP examiners go in the room, and and um, they might the patient might present them with my with my nexus letter, and I've had CMP examiners leave the room and say, "I'm not going to I'm not going to do this exam because it'll be like malpractice because the the rating team is trying to do some do do the case one way, and my letter, you know, based on data is the other way. So those those examiners are kind of in a pickle, you know, in the middle where they're getting squeezed by the administration versus the medical. You know, Dr. Bass, my original injury happened back in 1983, just a year before you guys. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, me and the caller there, we've got basically the same issues. Uh, you know, it took me 14 years. Um, the worst thing that breaks my heart to see a veteran call a claim, and he goes to a organization for help, and somebody misfiles something or puts the wrong information, gets the wrong diagnosis or the wrong body you know, body feature. Same thing happened to me with another VSO. I'm not gonna say their name because they're already famous enough for screwing up. Um, but it takes years for a veteran to overcome that bad information. Uh, I had a spinal cord injury and a major neck injury and the organization wrote it up as a a traumatic head injury, and that took me years to get to change it. And back then, mm-hmm. I didn't know Dr. Bash existed. If I did know, you know, it had been a different issue. It took me 14 years fighting it, and I had to get an education to learn the entire system and just do that myself. Mm-hmm. So, but keep keep fighting, that's a big, man. Keep the faith, you'll get it. Yeah, it's a big deal. You get the, the first information is important, and even even in my case, you know, if the, if the, they said it was a head injury and it was a neck injury. You know, that's a lot of what I do is change the diagnosis, but it's hard because I can say that, you know, I can prove it, but 
sometimes they want to validate it and recheck it. So it can be cumbersome. Like even in my case, my case took seven years and I was in, you know, I was at the military medical school and my doctor wrote like five letters and I was in the medical field. So, you know, I did maybe twice as fast, but still it took a long time to get it through the, you know, system. You also have to realize over, over the years, I mean, when you, when you get older and, you know, you've had a spinal injury, spinal cord injury, you know, especially if you've got uh, muscle wasting, like I've got atrophy in my arms and everything else, uh, you can actually damage your everything in your shoulder and your arms, you know, just by doing stuff. Because, you know, the muscles are protected, but, you know, once it once it wastes away, it's gone. So, you know, there's other things yep. that lead to it for later on for other issues. So. Yeah, aging, aging with spinal cord. That's why Matt, that's why Matt saw me, because he was cruising along for several years, you know, and then also he started getting older and started having secondary, mm-hmm. secondary complications and started to realize he might need some you know, VA services. So, um, yeah, yeah that second, second uh, muscle muscle strength and aging is a hard problem with spinal cord. Yeah, it is. Bladder, bladder, bowel, bladder, yeah. bowel, lung function, <clears throat> skin, skin breakdowns, all that stuff gets to be more of a problem. That's good. I mean, it's, you know, you just got a win here a few couple weeks ago about a bladder and bowel issue, don't you? Did I get one from somebody? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Powell, you know him, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So yep. He's, I mean, yep. he's fixed. Uh, he, he, he's fixed. He's fixed pretty good. <laughs> uh, that's good. It's good. You know, knock him out. Knock him out one by one. You know, like I said, a lot of it has to do with the diagnosis. You know, like patients will get older and they think that their bowel and bladder problems is due to age. Like I had a guy the other day that was voiding like six times a night, and even a lady, she goes. That's normal, right, for somebody who's 50 years old? No, that's not normal for a 50-year-old. You know, it's, probably, it's probably your spinal cord, you know, and they're leaking stool. And it's just normal for older people, right? No. The 80s, maybe 90s, but not 50s. So, you know, and so patients themselves sometimes will minimize the problems because they just get used to dealing with it. And, you know. That's exactly true in my case. What, what was it, Matt? What, what issue? Well, bladder issues for one thing, um, but one of the other things I'd say about I would I would note about the um, supplemental claim, <clears throat> my supplemental claim, there were there were a number of things on there that I never would have thought to put on there myself, um, like asthma and tinnitus, and um, those were actually two two things that were approved. The first two things that were approved, um, even though they Paul the whole completely secondary to what I thought to the what I consider much much more central issue, much more central um, <clears throat> disabilities that I have. But I, I stumbled into I happened to <clears throat> I was sent to physicians. Um, who did a thorough, if they, they really studied my file and um, when they if they if, when the VA sends you to um, if you see somebody for audio or respiratory or ocular um, what the, the the report they get back is definitive and it's they basically make the it's a, the the CMP examiner makes the call 
you know, there's a 50% or greater likelihood that it's service-connected. If it is, um, then you're going to get a, a certain percent. A certain percent. With the, what was much more challenging and why involving Dr. Bash is so important with the neurological condition is it was really all subjective. I mean, even the physician assistant that I saw last summer <clears throat> that I've had nothing but good things to say about, <clears throat> it, was, it was all a verbal. Um, I mean, she did some things that, that actually nobody had done before. Like when uh, when I first sat down, I explained to her that, you know, people have a hard time real understanding it's my whole left side. And she measured my legs, and, like, my calves have five or five centimeters difference from my right calf to my left calf, and the norm is two centimeters. So she was thorough in that respect. But a lot of the other things, like matter and um, <clears throat> related and secondary conditions, it was a it was a verbal discussion. There, there wasn't you know, <clears throat> it wasn't like the respiratory test where you're blown into a machine and they have a number, <clears throat> and they and they can you know they write a report, <clears throat> and so it, it's a little odd to me that that the that it's the neurological component <clears throat> that. That at least with the, with the CMP examiners, in my case, has been so subjective. But that that's the way that's the way it is. That's the way it, <clears throat> it's been so, Matt, so far. Yeah. So there's a reason there's a reason why neurosurgeons do seven years of training after medical school. You know, because it's just complicated. And so Krieger used to talk about the fact that the this category of, of rating called special monthly compensation, which you're talking about, you know, high level spinal cord and bowel and bladder and lots of function with your hands and feet. He used to say that there's only five people in the whole VA, that's like 400,000 people that understand the SMC codes to his degree or whatever. So, you know, it's complicated from the law side. It's complicated from the, the medical side. And to try and meld those together in a, in a nurse practitioner that's had a couple of years training is like impossible. And it's also impossible for the raiders. You have to have really high-level trained, qualified raiders. And that's what happens is these cases bounce around. They pick up, they cherry pick off the easy things like the tinnitus and the asthma, and the complicated stuff gets bounced around until it gets to somebody that kind of knows what's going on, or you put enough pressure on it from, you know, political side or whatever to get somebody to look at it and spend a few hours. Because these cases could take, you know, you take a couple of days going through your record and detailing out what's going on. And the reader only has, you know, half an hour, an hour sometimes for these cases. There's no way. Yeah. Well, that that's certainly been the pattern in, in my case so far and you can and I would just add one more thing when you read the um, the decision letter like I remember having this conversation with you that nobody um, I've seen more doctors and nurse practitioners over the past two years than I had in the pre you know previous 30 years because um, the truth is my injury when I didn't have I didn't have surgery so almost I got to Roxbury I had been that was a month after the accident, and my almost my whole focus was was in physical therapy, um, and you know they prescribed baclofen. So when I left and I went home, it really wasn't that much different. I mean, I was still going to the gym. I was still by that point, by that time I was like in, independent physical therapy, and um, but the VA has a habit of they they try to measure things how many how many important you know how many hospital visits that you have. Um, and like in, in, in the, uh, I think I mentioned to you, Dr. Bash in the, in the decision letter, 
when they um, they deferred <clears throat> they sort of deferred all the neurological um, components and intertwined it with my with my um, appeal, which made sense except for bladder and sphincter. <clears throat> and they said I had I went to the ER like four or five times earlier this year for lower back problems, and they didn't say anything about my my bladder. So they used that. That was evidence that I didn't have a bladder problem, but it's a chronic condition. It wasn't if you go to you go to the ER for an emergency condition, and, and um, it, that seemed like the most counterintuitive. Um, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I, I didn't mention asthma or tinnitus, and and they gave me a percentage for those two things. They, a part of it is they just, like you said, the. Uh, um, they don't encounter that many spinal cord injuries. They count a lot more orthopedic injuries. That people understand broken bones more than they understand spinal cord injuries because they see it a lot more. All right, Matt mentioned something that's really important. I, you know, I want to give a thank you to Dr. Saccarati because he's my doctor. But you know, he was very into sort of minimalist approach for surgery. And Matt and I are two really good examples of a positive outcome with no surgery. I've been on no medications for 35 years, and that was something else Dr. Sakurati did. And that's what Matt was saying. That kind of comes back to bite because he taught us that, you know, the body repairs itself a lot in the first year, and then you start thinking about surgery. But so that, you know, consequently we don't go to the doctor that much. We don't go to visits. We don't have medications, prescriptions. And so that can come back to hurt you, like Matt was saying, that it doesn't show no continued problems. Hmm. Yeah, like to harp on continuity of treatment, guys. They want, yeah, right. You know, they want to, they want to be able to see that you've been treated, and it's uh, a lot of times people don't go, you know, do the doctor. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things too that uh, you it can they can be worked around. I mean, it's you know, it's not it's, it's not a disaster. It's not a disaster. Is uh, is Gail on the phone today? Gail out there? No. Sometimes, well, Gail's our person that does a lot of the the lay letter work, you know. And so, Peter mm-hmm. has that Peter has that law. He tells us about that. It's not really necessarily continuity of care. It's more about continuity of symptoms. You know, the law says that. Mm-hmm. So the continuity of symptoms is where the where the lay letter comes in a lot. So, like in Matt's case, Matt, you could say that you didn't have many visits. You know, continuity of care, but you had a lot of symptoms over the years. And so we write a lay letter for you. We might have already done it. You know, we we highlight that. That would highlight the laws that say that it's about the continuity of symptoms, not so much about the continuity of care. Mm-hmm. He likes to he likes to ignore that, but you know that's that's the kind of stuff that goes to higher level review. And you say we have continuity of symptoms. This is the lay letter that goes with it. This is the laws that they're supposed to apply, and then higher level review is supposed to say that's right and make the raiders go after it. It's all it's all in some respects it's a little bit crazy because when um. When uh, I've had three surgical consultations with um, a neurosurgeon at Bethesda, and um, when I when I mentioned to him, and I had actually read my, I had, I didn't realize that a lot of my, a lot that most of the neuro, neurological stuff had been deferred, had been um, tied to my uh, to my appeal, but I said. Uh, I didn't get a percentage for for you know my spinal cord injury. I got 
30% for asthma and 10% for tinnitus. And he said, that's perplexing. I said, that's bizarre. He said, you're, you know, you're right. He, he looked at me. He said, you're 100% right there. If you could, if, if the people that, if you could walk into a room with the Raiders and they could just take a look at me, it would make it so much easier. <clears throat> um, but, and you would think when you go in, and, and you think it's overt enough that when you when you go to have the you know like the first position assistant examiner um <clears throat> get it I could, have, uh, I could have spent an hour I could have spent two hours there um although interestingly enough she she said it was um she said it was service connected um she just didn't know how to diagnose it or explain it there's three there's three basic tests I think I'm correct when I say this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Bash, but um, Babinski, Hoffman, and Clonus. And um, actually, somebody at the VA, a physician assistant at the VA, had me negative all three. My second visit with um, <clears throat> with uh, Dr. Schutte at Bethesda, this is before um, I had met Dr. Bash, I, I said to him, am I missing something? Or I said, I- I've always been off the charts on all three. And I could even I even demonstrate with my left wrist. Um, I have like sustained clonus when I you know you push your hand back and it just it shakes. He, he said I've never seen anybody do that um, themselves before. And he glanced at the screen. He said, Yeah, she's over three. And that and that's actually a physician assistant who's in. At, <clears throat> I'm not going to mention her name, or, but um, at a medical center who specializes in um, at least to some degree in uh neurologic cases. <clears throat> so unless you're dealing with unless you're unless it's a neurologist, <clears throat> a neurosurgeon, a neuroradiologist and you have a, and you have a spinal cord injury, you're 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 climbing a steep hill. Cuz the chances are they're just not going to get it even if they're um, very attentive. Um, you know, the VA, they the just don't have the background. The VA's done this with TBI that mandated that the testing people have to be, you know, neurosurgeons and neurologists and psychiatrists and rehab medicine for that very reason. And they probably should do the same kind of a rule for spinal cord. So you have, you know, the psychiatric problems with spinal cord, head injuries sometimes, but there's neurologic and there's orthopedic and neurosurgical. So they should really mandate that, that spinal cord people are evaluated the same way because there's a lot of aspects that are complicated and the average person in the clinic can't deal with it. That's the problem you run into, Matt. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, this is Gerald. Uh, was you able to prove up your nexus there that he was injured in the, the service? That's yeah. exactly service-related. Yeah, um, the, the reason that my the reason what complicates my my case a little bit is that my claim is that uh, I was in the hospital for three months, and like my battalion commander came to visit me at Bethesda, I think three weeks after I got hurt, and and every it was all um, just like five of, five of my buddies from the Marine Corps came up like when I was still in the ICU the first week, and they brought my paddle which is what you get when you get out. Nobody thought I was ever coming back, including me. Um, 
<clears throat> and uh, and so I'm, I'm in the in the in three different hospitals, but in the hospital for three months, and then I went home for a month, and then I went back to Camp Lejeune really to kind of see everybody and check out. And they had done nothing with my with my with discharge. Um, the S1 shop really didn't know what to do with me, so they said. You're actually going to have to stick around until we get this finished. And I stuck around for five months. They didn't do anything. So I finally had to go to the battalion commander. Um, and this is Lieutenant Colonel Smith who had visited me in the hospital. So he understood. Um, he sent me home in like two days. <clears throat> but as it turned, So now, um, after I filed the claim, I was about a year into it when the line of duty determination popped up and Dr. Bash and I have spoken a lot about this. Um, they spent like, they spent like five months now trying to get my, my records. Um, and there's apparently no, at least the VA in DC and the VFW haven't been able to find any record of, um, you know, investigation or, uh, Related to the car accident or um, or anything, so <clears throat> that's really why it took me so long to file. <clears throat> to some degree, it was that things were um, were getting worse. But I, like I remember when I was in college, a couple of years after I got hurt, <clears throat> and a good friend of mine, his brother was a naval medical officer, and every time I saw him, he would say to me, "I don't understand why why you're not getting anything." Um, <clears throat> And it was just sort of the the, um, the way it played out when I was when I left the Marine Corps. Did they give you a medical discharge? They did, um, and, and but it it didn't follow the normal path because by the time by the time I, I requested mass of the battalion commander and he sent me home within two days, and then um, I was just under the assumption. And my DD-214 said not in the line of duty. So, but that determination had actually never been made. And so that's actually another good example. Um, in my case, it's the ideal example of why um, Dr. Bash's association with um, with Bill Krieger is so important because he understands, like, the mechanics. There's There's different types of appeals and... Um, I got at one point I was kind of hung up on the procedural stuff that took place while I was in the Marine Corps, <clears throat> but I've never been inside the VA um, unless you know how it, how it really works. The two things that, that um, Mr. Krieger told me the first time I spoke with him, uh, one was that the VA can make their own line of duty determination. Nobody told me that. <clears throat> and number two, you can file uh, you can request a predetermination hearing, which is especially important in my case because I just kind of gave you a quick overview of, of um, like, I, my accident was in April 84, and I was, like, discharged in April 85, and it was just, uh, uh, it, was a, it was a mess. And, um, but nobody, but he, what, what Mr. What Mr. Krieger explained to me was it's much easier to influence the VA up front before they make a decision than to get them to reverse themselves. So 
you're entitled to a predetermination hearing. Um, and but that, that's another issue that I have now because they actually decided a supplemental claim um, before they before they granted it, and I, they still haven't gotten back to me on the predetermination hearing. Um, but that's the kind of thing where you you don't know what you don't know until someone tells you. And, and by that time, you know, I had gone from the medical center to the VA to VFW. I thought I was in pretty good shape. Um, <clears throat> I had, um, and then once I um, stumbled into Dr. Bash and had the nexus opinion, I knew I was in much better shape, uh, especially from on the um, the medical side. <clears throat> and uh, um, but then the legal side, the process side, I was still a little bit in the dark. And people at the v, people at the VA and the and the, and you know a VSO, they're going to give you the best advice that they can, but they don't they don't they don't necessarily think of everything. Um, you know, when I mentioned the predetermination hearing uh, to my primary contact at the VA, he was very familiar with it, but he didn't suggest it the way you know Mr. Krieger did. He's more um, proactive and. So there's no there's no there's no book you can go to and there's no single individual you can go to, you know, within the VA or at least this is my experience anyway, or VSO and they're also very busy. Like the uh <clears throat> when I stumbled into somebody at the VFW, it was actually right after Thanksgiving, it was a week the office happened to be closed. Um but I just when I got there somebody was leaving and they said, <clears throat> Well, you know, somebody might have a minute, you know, why don't you just at least say hello to somebody here. And I wound up sitting down with him and talking for an hour. And two days later, the supplemental claim popped up. So I'm grateful for that. I mean, somebody, because that would, that supplemental claim would have taken me a couple of days. And, and, and it's, it's my, it's my history. So they spent a lot of time on it, but when you you have, let me just make one last point. When, a lot of you have a lot of questions that come up as you go along, and it's been much easier for me to pose those questions to Dr. Bash and Mr. Krieger um, and get a response. If you if you have to rely on the VSO, it's going to be much much slower because they just they're buried. That's my hmm. that's, that's my experience anyway. It, 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 seems, it seems like they discharged you. Uh, with bad paper. I mean, they give you a medical discharge and then they turn around and said that uh, it's not service related. Uh, have yeah, you right. uh, yeah. talked to them about a correction of records? I think I think what's going on. I don't know if that a, would do anything, but yeah. I think I think what's going on is he had a nice you know nice rehab with Dr. Sakurati. He does a really nice discharge physical. So I'm sure Matt, when you get your records, because he's used to having people in service. He's going to document a lot of stuff for you on the way out. I think what happened is they had some processing of his paperwork in service, and they never, they never completed it, Gerald. I don't think it was ever signed off. And I think that the VA is trying to find a signed-off copy, and they can't find it. I don't think it was anything correct. Oh. I don't think they ever for- formalized it. They never formalized it. That sounds about what, what probably happened. Yeah, and it, it actually gets even a little more complicated because when I when I left, when I requested Massa currently into December, he sent me home. I started school like five days later, and 
So that was like January of 1985. And then the, um, the notice to member recommended findings was um, February 27th. And I, I'll just be honest. I have absolutely no recollection of going back to Camp Lejeune to sign that. <clears throat> and there's no other authorizing signature on it. So, <clears throat> and they're supposed to be, supposed to be when I ask questions like, <clears throat> you know, should there be like an investigation and a letter of my request? Asked, none of that is, is in my file. And um, so I, I think Dr. Bash is right. It was just, it was, it was never, it was never completed. So Krieger says if it wasn't completed, it wasn't, didn't happen. So your line of duty, yes. Right, um, I'm sorry. Say it again. Krieger says it didn't get completed. It never happened. So your line of duty, yes, probably right. Um. Actually, I think it, I, I, I've talked to a couple people about it. I don't know that. Um. um did uh the Mr. Krieger's weighed in on it, but um when I explained it to Jim Fischel, he seemed he seemed to think that there was probably no formal determination because uh, another another strange aspect to it was that should be a threshold question. I mean, why go through all the CMP exams and and um and have you know for a year at least in my case now for a year and a half that didn't pop up until I was a year into it. And they, they said, and one of the challenges, the VA doesn't tell you anything. Um, I'm, I'm privy to a couple internal communications that people have, like even a VA rep over the phone um, was the first one who said that uh, they came up with some new information and, um, about the line of duty and, and, uh, your line of duty status, but they don't tell you what the new information is. Um, you know, they don't tell you what they're, what they're, it was just last week when somebody called me from the VA about something else. And she said to me, um, the woman I spoke with said, well, they're, they're trying to get your, uh, says here they're trying to get your records. And so they've been trying to get my records for five months, but nobody, um, Whatever whatever they do, at least in my case, they do on on their own, and nobody's obviously. I requested um, the predetermination hearing two months ago, and so they're they're also not very anxious to speak with me. Um, so it's kind of a repeat of what happened 35 years ago, to be honest, where you're waiting for somebody to do something, um, and uh, you're kind of at their mercy. Well, it seems like to me you're going to have to get your paperwork straightened out. I mean, you know, in proper order before anything much going to happen. Of course, Bill uh, Krieger there, he's good at getting that squared away. But uh, if, if they didn't do the proper procedure in discharging you, it seems like uh, the BA's it's going to have to buckle down and and do the right thing by you. 
Well, oh, no. <laughs> the most important thing, though, is that um, the, the request for the predetermination hearing is sort of like a prophylactic. <clears throat> that's, according to somebody at the VA, my contact there, they said, he said, that's a statutory requirement. And he, showed, he, he turned the computer screen and said, it's right there. It's in there. <clears throat> um, it's, it's not optional. <clears throat> so at that point, I have the if, um, if they make a decision without that, um, then presumably I have some recourse. And really, on the medical side, with the with the, having the nexus opinion, is 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 similar to that. I mean, if they if you have a nexus opinion from somebody with you know 30 years um, background in the neurological field, up against and they <clears throat> lined up against a um, a CMP exam from a nurse practitioner. <clears throat> Then you have, you know, you have recourse. It's better to uh, um, to try to, you know, the more you can influence them up front, the better. But if the decision doesn't come out where you want it, at least you, you know, you have a um, you have an obvious recourse. But the hopefully I'll hear from them pretty soon. And what I what I, what I plan to do is not to go in there with a big, long argument, but just to ask them, you know, what is, uh, you know, what, what what's, what's the hang up? Have you gotten your CPAW from them yet? Um, well, I pulled up actually just today. I was looking at the, um, at my, at my file, um, I think I have uh, I, I have everything on I have everything on the medical side. I have access except for that one C C and P exam I keep um, <clears throat> talking about. But I really don't have anything on the administrative side except for a, a notice of member of recommended findings with no authorizing signature, and then a board decision a month or two later. That also has no authorizing signature, and the um, nobody from the v, the VA or the VSO really knew what to do with that. And then that, that's why um, I've had a lot of discussion with um, with Mr. Krieger about that. And, you know, the most important part I've said a couple times now is a predetermination hearing, and. and uh, there's a whole <clears throat> I'd have to go back and revisit the emails. Um when I bring up different specifics about my situation, um Mr. Krieger has explained where that could factor into this type of appeal or that type of appeal. But um <clears throat> right now I'm just I'm just waiting on the uh the next step, the uh the predetermination hearing. And to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't be surprised if they made a decision if they make a decision with um, without that, because they just something about my claim kind of seems to kind of spook them. No, you know, um, I, the the my my second request, you know, I, I indicated that it was kind of a an ad hoc protracted um, process, and it was when the when the um, when I finally went to the colonel, and it, I think two days later, a note came back from somebody at, from a lieutenant colonel at Mainside, 
that said this type of investigation had better never take this long ever again because at that point it was nine months and he probably had 30 days to do it. And, and so, um, but there's no red, but that's not in my file either. Nothing is there. So Matt, um, so Matt your, your case is unusual, you know, for 35 years with spinal cord not being rated. And so that's part of it. The other part is that, you know, the VA in the back of the mind is worried about some kind of a CUE, some kind of a clear error on their side that might allow you to open the case up all the way back and have a huge retroactive award. So that's the part it's probably scaring them a lot too, you know. I would think it would be. Uh, uh, have you got a up to date uh, uh, your whole claims file on the desk? Um, I, I do on the I do on the medical side. I was just I was just going through that today. Well, it it should be your whole claims file mm-hmm. on the Including desk. The- Including the service yeah. medical records and your personnel records. Yes, yes. Yes. Everything. And the, but the, the the problem is though that um, and I was just said I just pulled it up um, I was just going through it today. The problem in my case is that a lot of what um at least like my contact at the v, at the DFW expected to see. It would, you know, sort of substantiate the line of duty determination. It just, it, like, there was nothing there. And it's really just the two, the two documents I mentioned: notice the member of recommended findings and the board board decision. Neither one with an authorizing signature. And uh, um, I don't, know, I don't know how they kept, I don't know how they uh, maintained records from 35 years ago. But comp. One of the reasons I think I understand how this happened um, better than most people think, you know, the military is going to follow certain, you know, procedures, and that's true. But I was in Second Recon Battalion, the administrative office. There's only a couple hundred people out there. And so it was a tiny little administrative office. Um, you know, it's it's not even there anymore. They've you know, it's it's not at Onslow Beach. <clears throat> if it's so, if it's not in my file, it's not in my file. Maybe it's over at Mainside. Who knows? But to be honest, I don't. I don't think they're going to find what they're looking for. I think if they were going to find it, they would have found it by now. I think they're just kind of stuck. My um, th- that's what my contact at the, at the VA says. When he first looked at it, he said what you just said. He said, you know, it looks to me like. Um, they might owe you a lot of money, but um, I'm uh, I'm not making any assumptions in any direction right now. <clears throat> I'm just taking Dr. Bash's advice and, uh, and Mr. Krieger's advice. Um, and I'm not always that good at taking advice, but I've learned um, this is one of those situations where I'm old enough to know that um, I'm better off I'm deferring um, to people that have been inside that system for a long time because if you haven't been inside that system, you can't understand. It's often more than just a set of rules. It's it's the nuance and the way you know the way things operate. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> you know that, that, that's why it's important to um, <clears throat> to have you know people like that that uh, you know working on it for you. Well, it's not our first rodeos, you know. I've been doing it like I don't know, 
26 or 30 years, and Krieger's been doing it like 45 years. So, you know, we're trying to help you the best we know. Yeah, Dr. Boss rides all kinds of different horses, man. He's got thoroughbreds. He's got quarter horses. He's... <laughs> <laughs> I got this wheelchair called the, called the Action Pro T. Is my biggest. He also uses visual aids with BBA hearings. You ought to see the guy in action. You're, you're, you're good. You're good, okay? <laughs> I, take some, I, take, I take stuff in. I'm, I'm big on analogies. I'm an imager. I'm big on analogies. Yeah. And it helps people. And that's that way too. Matt talks about things and analogies, and you know it helps people think out of the box and put things in different perspectives. So, yeah. you know, one of the biggest things about spinal cord issues, especially in general situations, is uh, respiratory insufficiencies is, is is a big is a big player anymore. You know, because that phrenic nerve yeah. gets paralyzed and it's hard. When it gets yeah. hard to breathe, it's hard. It's terrible. Yeah. We're getting a lot of guys. I have guys. The VA is starting to get caught on to this, this whole idea of restrictive lung disease and interstitial yeah. lung disease from all the smoke and inhaled dust. And so the frank nerve is part of it. That's the nerve that makes the lungs move. But if the lungs themselves are stiff, like the sponge inside is stiff, and they can't work that way either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the lungs, I think the lungs are kind of an overlooked area with VA ratings, to tell you the truth. People don't think about it as much, and patients don't understand it. You know, Gerald does that, right? Gerald, you have a lung problem, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I understand it. Yeah. That's part yeah, of your problem. I don't have yeah. yeah. 100% of mine working. <laughs> if you yeah. get short of breath and you look and your shoulders elevated, you better get to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Quickly. Yeah. yeah. But, no. uh, yeah, well, that's a tough one. Uh, the BA. I agree with you, Dr. Batch. BA really, a lot of them, uh, the examiners don't fully understand uh, the lungs, and uh, that's problematic for anyone with respiratory problems. Yeah. You think about all those guys, you know, back to the Gulf War, man, there's this. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers, though, they're all with lung disease. And the the burn pits. On the surface. Yeah. Burn pits. Yeah, burn pits. Yeah, burn pits no. and dust, right? Yeah, they're I want to tell you suffer. something else. I want to tell you something else to get you. It's not burn pits, but it's just the silica in the sand over there. No. That's, that, yep. that, that destroys your lungs, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'll cut them all the pieces. Yes, it will. It's glass is all it is. Well, I'm going yeah. to volunteer that mine was my case is a little bit ironic because um, they <clears throat> this is sort of useful for just how kind of twisted these things can get. Um, on the part of the reason my tinnitus was approved was that my MOS was a mortar man, but I was really only a mortar man for a month in infantry training school, and then I went out to second recon battalion, so I really didn't understand that. And um, I do I do have some lung damage, but I grew up with somebody. My sister has um, severe asthma, so um, I just never I never would have anticipated that those would have been the two the two things that were approved ahead of you know the obvious spot you know um, neurological damage I have. But they threw you a cookie, okay? Let's face it. 
They did the same yeah. thing to Gerald. They threw you a cookie to start. They gave him what? They gave him this what? What? Twenty percent for years at one time, Gerald. Just a, a pizza. Yeah. Yeah, important right. stuff needs to be you known. One thing I one thing I learned is that the um, I had I had written a letter. Um, this is before I met, before I um, met Dr. Bash <clears throat> after the uh, the first CMP exam, where she said there was no connection between my hand and my foot, and um, that my medical records were silent. And actually, the person who mentioned that letter like three times was a CMP examiner for, for my respiratory. And she said uh, about five minutes into the exam, she said, I loved your letter. And I said, what letter? And, she, and then I figured out which one it was. And she, she brought it up like, like two or three times. We actually had a surprisingly, I don't say intimate discussion, but she shared with me that she had had cancer everything. And I can tell and you're right, that she, she studied – I, I, she pulled everything she possibly could from my file because um, she was one of because she felt that you know um, she felt that that I kind of been mistreated even more than I did at that point because I, I sort of realized I had bumped into somebody that really just wasn't qualified to and that examiner she was very qualified to you know rate respiratory illness she's a physician um, and uh um, I just encountered somebody that really wasn't, just didn't. It's Dr. Bass. I just didn't have the uh, didn't have the training. But you, uh, I wouldn't argue with your characterization of it. You're right. Hey it's guys, I hate to tell you the bad news, but we're completely out of time. Huh? Completely out of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we run the clock out on this. <laughs> Yeah, we did. It's good though. We can do it again. I mean, it's that you know we're we're pretty much open to get the schedule more. So, Dr. Bash, would like, you like to come on and continue this situation in a couple of weeks? Yep, yep. Craig Bash, you guys call Skip if you want me. Nine two five three eight one seven five six one. Skip against my mm-hmm. scheduler. Nine two five three eight one seven five six one and six one. Or you can do you know Google Craig Bash on the website and get a hold of me that way. Yeah, I'll come back. I'll come okay. back. Good deal. All righty. Well, folks, that's it. We're out of time completely. So uh, we appreciate everybody for listening, and uh, we appreciate you guys coming on, Dr. Bash. And uh, man, I hope you get everything worked out there, guest. I hope uh, you know you you got the right team. It's just going to take a little bit of time to put it together, and once they do, you're going to be just fine. Yeah, and I just want to um, thank you as well, personally, Dr. Bash. And and uh, I don't want to make it sound like like an infomercial, but the uh, the truth is, when I, whenever um, I've, just, I've talked to my, my contact at the VA, my primary contact, um, he always refers to you as the, uh, the gold standard, and, um, and he knows Bill Krieger personally. Um, and, and so, you know, he uh, um, has the same, same, uh, same high regard for Mr. Krieger as I, as, uh, as I do as well. So I appreciate your well, help thank very you. much. Hey, we always talk about you stand on shoulders, so. Dr. Sakurati has the shoulder. You know, I'm just kind of carrying on the tradition. So, all right, guys. See you later. All right. Okay. Yep. 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 Bye. Gerald Buck, thanks for being the co-host or the hostess co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
Just ho ho. All right, but uh, we'll catch everybody later. We'll do this again soon. This is Basher. We'll be done and off for now. All right. You have been listening to the Basher Hour. The Basher Hour is brought to you by Hadit.com. Stay tuned next week for another edition of the Basher Hour and the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>